0: and welcome to Haunted Up North, the brand new podcast dedicated to the telling of real-life paranormal experiences from the North of the UK. I'm your host, Victoria, and I really hope you find yourselves scintillated, scared and, most importantly, entertained by the spectral tales I'm about to tell you today. We promise you good ghosts here at Team Hun, and we aim to be the new number one source for scary. So get down. Get ghostly, (laughs) I'm doing hip-hop hands right now, (laughs) and let the power of the North compel you. Would anyone like to know what I'm doing hip-hop hands right now sounds like played backwards? Because I do. (laughs) Oh baby, I sound like I'm in the Red Room, or a 1970s Satanist Playing things backwards at each other was how 1970s Satanists worshipped the devil, I'll have you know. As someone who's just discovered the wonders of sound technology, simple things like playing things backwards to see what they sound like is the most exciting thing, even with a world of technology at my fingertips that I can think of to do with it. I said thing quite a lot of times then. Anyway, I would just like to say, so I'm going to say it, Happy Halloween to anyone who's tuned in. Have you been watching as many horror films as I? Have you carved your pumpkins into the shape of Jack Skellington's face yet? That is Happy Halloween, backwards, in case you didn't already realise. I'm going to do this all day. But yeah, Halloween is my favourite night of the entire year, and I love it even more than Christmas, even though I do love Christmas, but Halloween for me is like the start of cosy season here in the UK. It represents that time of year when you can officially start to wrap up, snuggle down, and get really properly enthusiastic for the various magical celebrations that follow, like Christmas and, obviously, Bonfire Night, and it's also great for getting in the mood to tell a few scary ghost stories. Now, because this is the very first episode ever of Haunted Up North, I'll waste valuable ghost storytelling time by loosely giving you a bit of background as to how this podcast has come to be. Firstly, I'll introduce myself properly. Like I said, I'm Victoria, I'm a writer, very newly a podcaster, and ever since I can remember I've been heartily gripped by stories about ghosts, apparitions, poltergeist, possessions, all that kind of unexplained spooky stuff. And like most people who are into ghosts like me, I couldn't really tell you why. I don't know if it's that sort of delightful thrill you get from hearing scary stories inside a safe situation. You know, scary stories in isolation of the action they're describing are a bit of a safety blanket, aren't they, if you just literally sat there listening to them, even if they're true, and pretty terrifying. (laughs) But tales of ghostly experiences can provoke such intense fear, and that can be a very addictive sensation if you're in the lucky position to just enjoy that feeling, irrespective of reality. It's like being part of some uncannily interesting and unusual action without having to deal with the consequences of it afterwards, so maybe that's it, or maybe it isn't, who knows. I'm sure there's a wealth of psychological studies on the subject, and someone far brainier than me does know the answer to this. Or, in the same way that the paranormal can't yet be explained, perhaps my love of ghosts can't be either, and for the purposes of this podcast, I guess that's totally fine. So yeah, these episodes will be mainly me, reading ghost stories from the north of Britain. I'm not acting as an authority on anything, I am not a paranormal expert, and as far as seeing ghosts, believing in them, and knowing what the heck they are, I'm as in the dark as everyone else. You don't necessarily have to believe in ghosts to enjoy this podcast. Like I said, I'm not sure what I believe, I just know the thought of them scares me witless. (laughs) You can argue that even if ghosts aren't real, then the fear you feel when you're reading or listening to stories about them is, and that is really why we are choosing to entertain you with so many stories about them. As we wander down the avenues of Team Hun storytelling, there'll be theories and speculations offered I am sure, because I will be inviting guests on to relate their own frightening tales, whether they've experienced them firsthand or whether they've heard them from someone else, read them, watched them perhaps we'll even get some paranormal experts in. That would be exciting. So when I say the north of Britain, I'm aware that the concept of what is north and what isn't north is a tricky one to determine. Because what I consider south to me may be considered north to others, and what I might see as being north might be seen as being south to someone else. I'm from Yorkshire, so I kind of consider anything from there upwards to be the north of Britain for me, but I understand that not everyone will agree with this. So I looked online, and Lincolnshire's the official kind of geographical line between the British north and south. But it's not a thing I want to set in stone. If someone wants to send me a story from North London or North wherever, Canada, Iceland, North Korea, even flipping Northampton, you know, they can. You, You get what I'm trying to say. So if you're Southern, or someone from another country that isn't the UK, there will be scope to integrate and sew regions more naturally together, in the name of the supernatural. Especially over on Patreon, where I'll be reading out stories from practically everywhere, I reckon. But for now, the main idea of focusing each episode on a tale or tales from, in inverted commas, up north, wherever that north is, was that I just wanted to tell stories we might not have heard before. We've all heard the big ones, the Enfield haunting, Bally Rectory, Amityville horror, Dear David, you know the ones, and the list goes on forever, and I never get bored of hearing about these hauntings, but you might get bored of me telling you them. So the theme of this podcast is just a way of extracting new bits of storytelling. There are so many spine-chilling and atmospheric stories that take place upon bleak, dramatic moorlands and from within the depths of ancient houses or infamous strongholds that the north of Britain seems the perfect foundation for creepy tales to take place in. Although I'll be doing a great deal of the talking, this show is very much going to be a collaborative affair. I'll be drafting in help and tales from all sources, not just in the name of storytelling. I like saying storytelling, don't I? <laughs> uh, but with the intention of keeping us all connected and hopefully building a community of like-minded people who will quite possibly not just be listeners, subscribers or guests, but friends. Isn't that nice? I, I am the backwards man. <laughs> Speaking of collaborations, before we begin, I'd like to give a little shout out to musical artist and keytarist, and I do mean key not guitar, because really, the keytar is the coolest of all the tars, keytarist extraordinaire, the Neon Syndicate, who very kindly contributed and composed the retro synthwave dream of a musical intro you heard at the beginning there. The track is called Ignite, and they'll be playing us out again with another of their amazing tracks, Skyride, but they are incredibly talented and extremely, extremely lovely for loaning us their beautiful melodies that have been an integral part of bringing this podcast to life. Without them, I wouldn't be speaking to you now, so please check The Neon Syndicate out on YouTube, Instagram, Bandcamp. I'm sure there are more places to find them online, but if you head on over to the Haunted Up North website, it's uh, www.hauntedupnorthalloneword.com. you'll find a link there with which to access all the online awesomeness The Neon Syndicate has created for your pleasure. You'll also find a contact address on there for Haunted Up North if you'd like to message us along with all the episodes and various links to our social media pages. Right, let's get started. So... The theme of today's podcast is one I thought would be a perfect topic to kick it off with, and that topic is haunted pubs. (laughs) Uh, Pubs are amazing anyway, aren't they? (laughs) Let alone if they're haunted or not. So haunted pubs are, for someone like me, living the absolute dream. Going to the pub nowadays is kind of living the dream, isn't it, seeing as we were sadly without them for such a long period of time, what with the horrible pandemic and everything. So it's no wonder I'm feeling the urge to indulge myself in their honour whilst wetting my very first podcast head. <laughs> Sounds horrid, that. But yes, so the north of Britain is absolutely riddled with drinking establishments that boast the presence of residential ghosts within their walls. So this won't be the last time we go on a haunted up north pub crawl, believe me. We'll visit this theme again, but for now, I'm going to begin with some haunted pubs in my northern home, which is a pretty well-known village called Haworth in West Yorkshire. Howarth is most famous for being the home of the Bronte sisters, who wrote a series of highly celebrated novels during the early Victorian era, such as Wuthering Heights, The Tenant of Wildfell Hall, Agnes Grey, Villette, and they lived with their brother Branwell and their father Patrick in the parsonage, which is still there, It's actually a museum now that you can go and visit and look round the rooms in which they wrote most of their books. And it sits behind the St. Michael and All Angels Church, which is at the top of a steep, pub-lined, cobbled street. It's very British. And this street is actually the main street within the village of Haworth, where all the shops, cafes, restaurants, and, of course, like I said, pubs are. The layout of this street and the buildings which surround it are largely unchanged from what they looked like during the Victorian times, so you can imagine how steeped in history it is, and you can also imagine how many reports of hauntings there have been. It's probably a bit late in the day to recommend Haworth as a Halloween hotspot, but if you get the chance next year to travel to this neck of the woods, I strongly suggest you do, as the residents... Really go to town with Halloween decorations, and it's an awesome place to bring the kids. Plus, if you're older and you just want to enjoy the fun, eerie atmosphere, (laughs) uh, you can peruse the festivities from a distance at your leisure, wander around the Parsonage Graveyard, and even frequent one of our cosy, firelit, and obviously haunted pubs. The first pub I'm going to talk to you about is one that's slightly off the beaten track, but if you're heading up from the steam train station, we have a steam train as well don't you know, it it runs along the 150 year old 5 mile long Worth Valley Railway uh, that goes from Keithley to Oxenhope and stops at Haworth station, which is further down the hill from the main street. It's beneath the park and beside the main road that takes you into Haworth. if you're coming from the direction of Keithley. So if you're coming from that direction, and heading over the footbridge and up Butt Lane... (laughs) Butt Lane... uh, Butt Lane... Butt Lane is the cobbled hill that takes you towards Main Street, and if you're on that cobbled street, you will see a building on your right as you're near the entrance for Haworth Central Park. This building is the Parkside Social Club, which, although now serves as a working men's club, was at one time a schoolroom. It was built in 1924, originally, uh, for use as an institute, I'm not quite sure what for, so it's almost 100 years old and is, as you might have guessed from its inclusion in this episode, a centre of supernatural activity. The Parkside Social Club is said to be haunted by the ghost of a young girl whom multiple members are reported to have seen wearing a Victorian-style coat and hat. Because this building was constructed after the Victorian era, it's probably that the style of clothing mentioned in these reports is most likely not Victorian, but I guess depending on which decade this particular ghost girl is from, schoolgirl outfits before a certain period could be mistaken for Victorian, I guess. Uh, but the room she seems to have been seen in most is the pool room, but she hasn't just been spotted there. Her footsteps have also been heard running up the stairs by various witnesses, and were very distinctly described as having the quick, light tread of a small girl. Slappy foot runs, the scariest of all horror tropes in my opinion. Reading about this particular haunting reminds me of James Wan's Insidious franchise where he utilises the Slappy Foot Ghost Run to excellent effect in those films. If you want a good representation of the Slappy Foot Run, I suggest you head on over, I don't know, wherever Insidious is now showing, (laughs) and have a watch and a listen to the Slappy Foot Run trope. The next pub you get to, if you walk through the Central Park, is one that's at the very foot of Howarth Main Street, and one of the village's oldest surviving buildings. It's a huge, lovely manor house, built in 1621, so it's like 400 years old, which is like 4 centuries, can you imagine? 4 centuries old. And it's an absolute gem of a haunted looking house. It's got beautifully worn mullioned windows, gorgeous big fireplaces, and all that kind of stuff that goes perfectly with ancient British monuments of residential architecture. There is a rumour, in fact those who currently run the old hall actually state that there are two tunnels leading off from the cellars beneath the pub, one of which stretches a mile in length up to St Michael's Church at the top of the village that was apparently built for the use of priests and non-conformists escaping persecution during the reformation. The other tunnel, I think, was supposed to be an escape route for those affected during this obviously turbulent time, and I hope this story is true. I mean, not the horrible bit where people have been persecuted, but the tunnel bit. Um, and I, I guess, because tunnels are exciting, <laughs> uh, I guess if they're talking about it on the website, it must be. I'm naturally a little suspicious of these stories as I've heard so many reports of pubs having secret tunnels to other places like castles and uh, various other landmarks and buildings, but like I said, I hope it is true. But the old hall's got a really cool carved stone head above the main entrance door, which was either put there to commemorate the lost life of a builder who worked there during the building's construction, or to ward off evil spirits like you find on the outside of many old British and European buildings. Sightings of ghosts in Haworth Old Hall go back, literally, generations, and include stories of an old squire walking along the oak gallery inside or sauntering about the lawns. An ancient Norman graveyard is said to have been built on the site upon which the pub now stands, and some have said they've seen monk-like apparitions and experienced choking-like sensations in various rooms about the building. According to local legend, a monk was walled up inside the brickwork beside the entrance hall, directly opposite the bar, and in 1992, two workmen engaged in renovations were terrified by the sight of a man staring at them, and staff members have also described experiencing an intense feeling of being watched as they go about their duties. Next up, we have the Fleece Inn as our third example of ghostly Howarth drinking dens, In this particular pub, it's the upper floors where most of the supernatural activity occurs. People have reported seeing a black mass moving towards them in the ladies' toilet, actually in one of the cubicles. I'm not sure which cubicle it is, but I guess if you are going to poo yourself with fright at seeing a ghost, a toilet is possibly... Well, most definitely the best place to be. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) I haven't seen it yet, but this dark entity that appears to ladies in the ladies' toilet is supposedly the spirit of an evil man who tortured his wife. And the ghost of the wife herself is also said to haunt the area outside the toilets as well. Um, I wonder who they are and why they're specific to that location, but it's very scary. Corridors are scary, aren't they, In pubs. Toilets and pubs, are. I always find them to be a little bit creepy. I think it's because... Often they're so far away from the bar, so you you kind of you're sat in the bar, aren't you, enjoying yourself with the you know a, a hubbub, <laughs> hubbub, a hubbub of conversation, and then suddenly you're in a silent toilet where any sound seems like a massive, echoey thing. What's even scarier than this, however, is that some residents have spotted the unexplained figure of a Victorian-looking gentleman standing in the corner of their bedroom at night, because the fleece is, you know, it's obviously a guesthouse as well, but that that makes me think, you know, someone standing in the corner of the bedroom is, like, complete Blair Witch alert. One lady was so convinced that this spectral visitor was real, she presumed it was a husband, but upon telling whatever it it or he was to come back to bed, she realised a husband was fast asleep behind her. And apparently, and this is sort of what scares me the most about this tale, is that she turned her back on the figure and refused to look at that corner of the room all night until morning came. And I I think we've all been in situations like that, haven't we, at some point during our lives where we think we've seen something, whether that's something we imagine is there or not, and have been so paralysed with fear in nighttime situations that we just daren't move or turn our heads in the direction of the scary thing. That's terrifying, poor woman. Poor everyone involved in both those stories to be honest. I'm doing hip-hop hands right now. So when you get to the top of Main Street, and believe me, if you have walked from the bottom of Main Street right to the very top of it, do not be ashamed if you find yourself out of breath. <laughs> Walking round Haworth is basically traversing one massive hill after another, and man, are they steep. So once you've caught your breath, please observe the wonder, the absolute crown jewels and holy trinity of haunted Haworth pubs, the Black Bull, the King's Arms and the Old White Lion Hotel, each of which are situated beside or in very close proximity to the church and its neighbouring graveyard. This graveyard, like the parsonage it also sits next to, is a very famous one as it's very old very atmospheric with countless trees and cawing crows dotted in above and amongst the ancient gravestones that populate it the burial registers here go back as uh, they go back as far as 1645 and a whopping and i mean whopping 40,000 people are reported to be buried here. That might sound like an impossible number, considering the size of the area, which, though large, it's quite large, but it doesn't seem large enough to be able to accommodate such a number of corpses. But we're not talking about singular bodies being buried in a line here, we're talking tens of families all being buried on top of each other in the same grave. Sanitation during the time of the Brontes was not Good. <laughs> it's not funny, <laughs> but it's kind of laughable when you think about the things that we take for granted today because it was bad back then. Everyone was drinking severely contaminated water, there were no sewers, human waste was basically left out to rot and run down the streets, and these poor bodies festering in the overpopulated graveyard were decomposing and filtering into the already contaminated water supply that, as I said, everyone was drinking. Uh, how are... Th- was, to use a very British term, mingin back then, despite its romantic literary heritage, it really really was. Half of children born there during the mid-19th century sadly died before the age of six, and the average life expectancy was 24 years. Every single one of the Bronte children died in infancy or very young, The last three surviving Bronte sisters, who were the most famous of the family, died at the ages of 29, 30 and 38, while their brother Branwell died at 31. I mean, this was all above average life expectancy for the time, but obviously very much below that of today's. It's no wonder in 1850 their Irish father... Patrick, who outlived all of his six children, as well as his wife, decided to get the General Board of Health in to provide a clean water supply for the village. I always find it quite inspiring to hear that um, despite having lost his entire family, the Reverend Bronte didn't let it stop him from trying to save the lives of others. He wasn't like, well, my kids are all dead now, so why should I give us stuff about yours? It's a really aspirational mindset to have that, maintaining your will to safeguard the lives of those around you, even though you've suffered such personal tragedy yourself. He was 84 when he died, so he must have been a tough bugger, <laughs> and largely unaffected by all this filth. But maybe the powers that be were keeping him alive long enough to fix Haworth's water problem before they let him go. If you'd like to see some evidence of Patrick Bronte, if you if you go and look at the the church tower, um, it's the section of tower that faces the Bronte parsonage. You'll see probably about halfway up some bullet holes in the brickwork. And that's apparently from when Patrick Bronte used to discharge his rifles in a morning. He used to keep a loaded rifle by his bed because the, there wasn't really a police force Uh, in effect during the time that he lived there. So he used to load his guns at night to protect his family and leave it by his bed, and in the morning he would discharge the guns out the window and aim for the tower um, as a a target. And I I guess a lot of the time it didn't hit, but sometimes it did. So if you are in Haworth graveyard, in the Bronte Parsonage graveyard, have a look kind of halfway up the tower. You might see some bullet holes there. They're quite worn, but I assure you they're there, if you keep looking. So I always, I've seen them a million times, but I I always lose sight of them and then I find them eventually, so if you stare long enough at the brickwork, you'll find them. But despite the fact that we now have clean water inside toilets and decent plumbing, the skeletons of the Bronte Parsonage, however, to this day remain, with some even believing... That due to long-term subsidence, many of the bones have slipped downwards from the graveyard and now rest beneath the floors of the Black Bull. No one's really sure when the Black Bull was built, as the deeds of the building have long since been lost. But it's believed to be about 300 years old. It's never been anything other than a pub and a hotel, and in its early days, it was a popular stopping place for stagecoaches passing through the village on their journey from Bradford to Colne, Colne's in Lancashire. It was also Branwell Bronte's favourite drinking den. People who are familiar with the history of the Bronte family will already know he was a troubled man during his lifetime. Prone to alcohol and drug addiction, which eventually decimated his body, leaving him vulnerable to tuberculosis, and that's what finally killed the poor guy. It's his ghost that's thought to haunt the black bull. There's actually a chair on display inside the pub that is thought to be Branwell's personal chair, an item which he is said to haunt after a shadowy figure has been seen sitting in it on numerous occasions. An old bell which sits inside the pub, which Branwell used to ring whenever he required service, is often heard ringing of its own accord in the dead of night when the pub is closed and no patrons are within. Most Haunted, the by now infamous British paranormal show once visited the Black Bull in the mid-2000s, because not only are there instances of bells ringing by unseen hands and shadowy figures appearing and disappearing in chairs, there's a whole host of stuff going on that makes it, quite possibly, the most haunted of all haunted Haworth pubs. A man in beige has been witnessed sitting at one of the tables in the main bar. Unexplained people appear, then disappear, in the cobbled road outside. A girl is sometimes heard crying in the car park. Staff and patrons often see figures flitting about from the corner of their eye. The ghost of a former landlord named Dan Sugden is often witnessed, wearing his signature top hat. Uh, a child, a still-living one, <laughs> uh, was once spotted offering sweets to a person no one else could see, explaining afterwards that the person she'd been offering sweets to was a smart man who'd been playing peekaboo with her with his very large hat. In Room 2, residents have woken to found a man just standing there, watching them sleep. And in Room 3, a ghostly maid is said to move objects back to their original positions when the current housekeeping's back is turned. Glasses and ashtrays fly suddenly off tables. People feel an unseen presence brush against them on the stairwell. Customers have had their heads mysteriously tapped when standing by the front door, and cigar smoke is regularly smelt. Kitchen plates smash, distinct disembodied mutterings are heard, as well as footsteps coming up the stairs and halting outside doors. Whoa, (laughs) that's quite a mega repertoire of ghosts none of which, again, I've ever seen, despite having frequented the Black Bull on many occasions. Perhaps the ghosts don't appear in my presence, because I'm just too scary for them. Uh, I've found on YouTube the most haunted episode where they visit the Black Bull, so head on over there to my Haunted Up North channel, if you like, to have a good old watch. It'll be under the playlist Very Scary VT, which is where I store most video references like this to the things we've discussed in these episodes. So we've got two pubs left, both right at the top of Main Street, the King's Arms and the Old White Lion. But because the White Lion has more of a grand finale-style story attached to it, we'll head on over to the King's Arms, which sits at the corner of Church Street and West Lane. The King's Arms appears to have been built in the 17th century, and was once part of the property of the Lords of the Manor of Haworth before it became an inn. At one time, at the back of the inn, a slaughterhouse once stood, and on killing days, a river of blood would run down into the street and into the cellars beneath the building of the King's Arms. These cellars were actually used to store surplus bodies when the morgue outside the pub was full, and although I've never been down into these cellars myself, I've seen photographs of old Victorian coffin slots built into the body of the walls. So it's of no surprise that employees have heard strange sounds emanating from inside the cellars late at night, only to find that, upon investigation, there's nobody there. I'm not sure anyone could persuade me to venture into a dark, coffin-slot-lined cellar in the dead of night, but apparently it's not just the cellars that are the sole centre of ghostly goings-on. The living quarters above the pub have had their fair share of supernatural activity, in the form of objects being moved around. And possibly, this could be something to do with the fact that this part of the building, for a long time, housed the manorial courts. So, maybe it's the ghost of a wrongly accused defendant, or something like that. Now, we finally come to the Old White Lion Hotel. The White Lion was originally called the Bluebell Inn back in at least the mid to late 1700s, but for some reason, at some point soon after that, they decided to replace the colour blue with white, and the flower became an animal and everything was now old, but (laughs) you know, it doesn't matter, it's still a nice pub, and it is a nice pub, I've been in it. Uh, The old White Lion Hotel has a very curious story attached to its history. Are you ready? In 1906, Howarth was getting ready for its annual gala. A gala, as most of us know, is a community-run social occasion with public entertainment and performances, and at this event, one Captain Frederick Bidmead, who was an aeronaut and pretty well-known parachute jumper, was due to unveil to the people of Howarth his star protégé, one, another one, Miss Lily Cove of London. Lily Cove was a very daring, very brave and obviously badass lady who liked to leap from air balloons and parachute down whilst lots of people watched her do it. (laughs) She did this from a sort of trapeze-like swing underneath, but on Saturday the 9th of June, the day she was due to perform this, let's face it, very exciting but very dangerous feat, conditions weren't favourable. So the jump was put off until the following Monday when again the people of Howarth crowded onto the Gala Field on West Lane to see her jump from her trapeze. At 7:40 that evening, now the evening of the eleventh, the balloon rose with Lily beneath it, but it floated off towards Pondin to be eventually hidden from view by nearby a nearby hill. Ten minutes later, Lily was seen to jump from the balloon, but unfortunately for Lily, it only partially opened, and then suddenly, she became detached from the whole thing altogether, and sadly plummeted towards the moor, and also unfortunately to her death, when she was still 40 feet from the ground. She was pronounced dead at the scene, and taken to the old white lion, to the room where she was staying in, which was room number seven, for ghost hunters who might want to spend the night in that particular room, So it was pretty tragic, and the villagers were understandably harrowed by the whole thing, and on the day of a funeral, all over Haworth, shutters were closed and curtains drawn as a mark of respect for lovely Lily Cove. She was the fourth recorded Lady Aeronaut to have died under such circumstances, and you can actually go and see her grave in Haworth Cemetery. It's not the Parsonage Cemetery, as no one's buried in there anymore, but it's on the left-hand side of Cemetery Road if you head on up West Lane towards Peniston and it's not actually far from where she's died, where she's buried, but it's there if you ever want to go and have a look. No one knows what happened with the parachute, there are rumours that it was tampered with by a jealous love interest, but as far as becoming detached from the parachute, it's widely believed that due to her close proximity at the time to Pond Reservoir, she thought it safer to remove herself from the harness in case it dragged her down into the water and drowned her. Jumping at the time seemed like a safer bet, I guess, but unfortunately for Lily, it killed her. This is the ghosty bit. Many who have stayed in room number seven, the room in which Lily's body was lain after they brought it back from the moor, have had the unsettling sensation of suddenly dropping through the air as though they're falling from a great height just as they're about to drop off to sleep. Some have also woken up startled to see a white-faced young lady, Lily was only 21 when she died, um, in old-fashioned clothing gazing down at them from the foot of their bed. I mean, you know, the old white lion is very old, so this could be anyone's ghost really, but the description does have some resemblance to Lily, so it's handy to associate this apparition with such a well-known narrative. Um, You can read more about Lily online, there's a great article about her called The Tragic Story of Lily Cove, a Young Lady Aeronaut at the Haworth Gala, by a writer named Margaret Mills, which delves into the intricacy of Lily's personal life, and it's a really interesting read. I'll include it in the source material in this episode's info, if you'd like to know more. And that's it! We've come to an end! Our very first Haunted Up North pub crawl... It was a rather listy affair, but you know, I had lots of ghosts to list, and quite scary ones as well, and they're all there, just sitting on the doorstep of my local community. If you have any doorstep ghosts you'd like to let me know about, please email me at hauntedupnorth at gmail.com for a chance for them to be read out on the show. Also, if you ever do fancy a tour trotting round the haunted byways of Howarth, there's a very cool guy called Adam Sargent who can take you round them all and explain exactly which ghosts have been spotted and where. His website is word.co.uk. Haunted Howarth is the name of his ghost tour company, and he even dresses up in a purple coat and top hat, which, believe me, is very exciting to behold. So yeah, head on over there if you'd like to book a tour. His Instagram handle is at Haunted Howarth, and I've been on one of these tours myself. Last Halloween in fact, it was when there was that massive blue moon, and it was extremely cold, windy and atmospheric, a total spook fest and I loved every minute of it, so please do have a look if you think it's something you'd be into. There you go. The very first episode of Haunted Up North. The Neon Syndicate has arrived to play us out, which means it must be time for me to pack up and go. Thanks for listening, everyone, and for letting us inject a bit of northern soul into your day. I hope you liked it. I also hope you found these ghosts to be good ones, and that you were suitably entertained by them, and that you'll come back next time. So long live the North and all who haunt her, and may her power forever compel you. Never presume that the man in the top hat who you're offering all of your delicious sweeties to isn't actually dead. See you later. Bye! But Lane. But Lane.